Welcome to Monsters Among Us. I am your guide, Derek Hayes. Welcome everyone, and thank you for tuning in to this week's show. I have a confession to make. I'm a bit of a workaholic. I spend entirely too much time working on my art, which I'm doing full-time now, remodeling my cabin, producing this show, running Cryptic Crate, and countless other projects I always have going on. Bottom line is, I work too much. Which leads me to my second confession. I'm tired. Over the past month and a half, I've created and sold hundreds of pieces of dark art for holiday shoppers. Several of those pieces being custom, one-of-a-kind creations. So to put it bluntly, I'm wore out. So wore out, in fact, that I contemplated not doing a show this week. After all, it is nearly Christmas. But ultimately, I finally decided to pull up my bootstraps and put my nose to the grindstone and get this thing in the can, so to speak. Writing, recording, editing, and releasing this episode is the last bit of work I have to do before I can take a few days off to celebrate the holidays with friends and family. So enough whining, let's get this thing done. Our first call of the evening is yet another in a long string of strange UFO sightings that all seem to be reporting the same thing. The following call was submitted in response to a call I played on Season 4, Episode 15, by a caller in Michigan. This is Keith's call from the state of New Jersey. Hey, Derek. This is Keith in New Jersey. I wasn't going to call in with this story. But I just listened to the last episode, season four, episode 15, and I was listening to the story about uh, the gentleman in Michigan told how in 19, uh, 1975 he saw what looked like a star moving around the sky. Well, about a month ago, I saw pretty much the exact same thing. This was took place on November 3rd, 2017, and it took place during what's called the the beaver beaver moon during november it's the full moon in november and uh what was special about this particular moon was that it was close to a super moon it wasn't quite a super moon because the moon wasn't at its closest uh point to the earth but it was almost so the moon was a little bit bigger than normal and a little bit brighter so being a backyard astronomer for years I kept that in my mind that I was going to take a look at it that particular night, which I believe was a Saturday. Uh, so that night, my wife and I were watching TV, 
it was a little bit after 11 o'clock, and we decided that we are going to go up to bed. So she went up, and then I was cleaning up the house a little bit, and as I was walking to the stairs to go up to bed, I walked by my front window, and I noticed the bright moonlight coming in, and I said, oh, hey, it's that full moon tonight. Let's go out and just take a quick look at it. So I walk outside, and I, I look up, see the bright moon, and then what was strange is I noticed something above the moon. What it was, it looked like a star, but it it was you know it was a small pinpoint of white bluish light, but it wasn't still in the sky. It seemed to be swooping erratically around the moon. It would zigzag left to right, up and down, and it reminded me of like a, how a gnat in the summertime would fly with no discernible pattern, just back and forth zipping around. So I had a good point of reference because the moon was right there. The moon wasn't moving; it was still. But this star just kept zipping around. And I'm watching this for a few seconds, and then it kind of zips off to the left and then swoops around underneath the moon. And it stays transfixed there for, it must have been five to 10 seconds. And then I see it just, it looked like it kind of flew into the moon, but it could have just moved so fast I, I lost it. It just zoomed off and it disappeared. So, I know that the gentleman in the last story, he had seen more than one. So in my sighting, it was just one. I knew my eyes weren't playing tricks on me because one minute this thing is there and about 30 to 45 seconds later, it's gone. So that was very strange. That's my story. I love the podcast. Thanks a lot. Thank you, Keith, for sharing your account. Keith's call goes to show that just because your story isn't as exciting as others, it doesn't mean that it's not important. That's three calls in three weeks, all describing practically the same exact thing. And speaking of that thing, I have no idea what people are seeing out there. So I'm going to implore the help of an astronomer or other individuals with a vast knowledge of the nighttime sky. So if perhaps you or someone you know is an expert in this field, please send over some contact information. I'd love to pick yours or their brain and see if we can't get to the bottom of this astronomical mystery. Thank you again, Keith, for taking the time to call in. Our next call sends us south to the swamplands of Florida. This is Elisa's call. Uh, hello, uh, Derek. My name is Elisa, and I have called before, once before, uh, recently, about the extremely tall white creature that I saw through the trees I guess it was a 10 to 20 feet away and anyway I've reported it you you played it I appreciate it and I also followed up on the video links you gave uh, to other people's accounts because at the time I, I thought this whatever I'm it, it seeing it doesn't fit the the um Bigfoot type creatures that people have seen in Florida because of no uh, lack of smell and the the color of the animal. So it was interesting to me that there were other sightings of a of a white large creature. Anyway, okay, so I'm calling you. This is a story I I I think I reported a long long time ago. Same trails. I haven't seen ghosts. I'm not that doesn't happen to me. I'm not sensitive or whatever. Both these things happened to me in the same area of wilderness in central Florida that I ran as a trail runner training for marathon races. Um, so I spent hours and hours. I'm slow. 
I spent a long time running slowly in the woods and often very early in the morning or very late at night because of I had a I have a job. Um, this is the only other thing that ever happened to me there. I no longer live in the area and I was reluctant to report this because I it's a sensitive environmentally ecologically sensitive area and I didn't want to give anybody reason to go tracking around looking for weird stuff. So there was the, the white creature and this is my other experience. This is uh, around dawn, um, probably 2008, and I'm running, um, it's kind of a, the section of the trail, again, it's off the road, it's called a hole in the fence, because basically the trail starts after you get through a hole that somebody's made in the fence, <laughs> that's how rustic and rugged this area is, um, it's off like a, a, a little, like a front road, uh, anyway, so I'm, I'm running, um, probably a mile into this hole in the fence access to this, this trail that's only kept up by volunteers. You know, it's not like signed up very well other than like, I think an Eagle Scout did some work on a bridge at one point, but you get the idea. Um, it's light out. I mean, the sun is rising, um, but I'm the only person. That, there's no other car in the, in the dirt area where you can park. Um, I'm the only one out here at this point. It's quite early. This was in the spring in the area of the country in Florida where, you know, the sun rises early. Anyway, so uh, basically I see a, a man-sized figure, completely black, cross the trail in front of me. Um, and it was confusing because it was a shadow and yet um, I should have seen detail. I remember my brain immediately went to, where is the detail on this? This is clearly a human-sized figure moving, moving, ambulating across the path. There was no sound, but I mean, I know what I saw. Uh, it was a, a a man-sized shadow, a dark, dark black shadow. And this this person was wearing heavy clothing, coats, lots of coats, and a and a big floppy hat from the silhouette. And that it was way too hot for that kind of garment, so that didn't make sense. And and also, I'm thinking, oh oh, the person crossed the path in front of me, and then stopped like behind a tree didn't continue past the tree that it had walked into or behind and that meant to me that this person was waiting like hiding behind the tree and you know as a woman alone this is not cool and I, I became like concerned about their behavior because the, the figure did not continue to cross into the area that they were in but then when I got closer I realized that was deep scrub there's there, no way you're going to walk through that. I don't know if you're familiar with subtropical Florida, but there's no way you're going to get across the palmettos. And it didn't even make sense. There's no trail there. They crossed into like swamp, like dense, dense swamp. Um, but I had gotten close enough to to see that and thought, I'm not going to go across where this person was if they were in fact hiding because I don't know them to be left upon or anything like that. So I take like a little side rabbit trail, like a, a wild uh, a game trail, and um, I know the area really well, and I know where this game trail is going to loop me around. So I decided to take that as so as not to cross paths where this person appeared to be hiding. Uh, and I followed the game trail for quite a while and looped back onto the trail. Um, the thing is, it just didn't make sense. I was close enough to realize I should have seen detail. There was no reason for, you know, in the amount of sunlight I had, for me not to see facial features, clothing details, None of that was there, and yet it ambulated so much like a person and and did not continue past a tree that it walked behind 
um, that I my flight or fight said, don't run past that tree. That person appears to be hiding behind the tree. Um, and yet the area that, that the, the silhouette or shadow thing moved into was not passable by human, unless you had a machete. I mean, there's just no way. It was way too dense. So, yeah, it was just me. And once again, you know, didn't have a person with me to back me up, but that's, that is what I saw. And it's never happened to me since or after, before, after, never had that happen to me. And it stuck with me because I was scared and believed that what I had seen was somebody moving across the path. Um, the it, later and after the fact, I thought that the person was wearing clothing that would have been from a, a century or more behind, like like a, the kind of like a robe type thing that the man apparently it was the height of a man was wearing in a in a floppy hat and um, walked across the path and never continued. And so that's the only other weird thing that happened to me in that area of the woods. And this was over a span of almost a decade. The two strange things: the, the seven foot white creature and this shadow visitor or, or almost like a explorer i don't know there you go thanks so much for your show i'm a big fan bye thank you elisa i have several theories that could possibly explain what elisa witnessed that evening i will start with the most logical and work my way to the crazier side the mention of indistinct clothing and a floppy hat instantly made me think of a homeless person. Oftentimes, people on the streets are left with no choice but to wear the same clothes for days, weeks, or even months. After a while, as dirt and grease collects, everything eventually becomes the same color and texture, making it difficult to discern details from one's clothing. The description of the floppy hat also contributes to this theory. This hypothesis can also extend to simple hermits, or folks living off-grid. In either case, the described behavior of them hiding makes sense, especially if they are living somewhere that they shouldn't. Now my second suggestion would be a hunter in a ghillie suit. I know I've described a ghillie suit before, but it's a head-to-toe garment made of string and local foliage that's designed to break up the shape of the human body and camouflage with natural surroundings. This could also help explain the lack of detail in the clothing. And here's where my theories take a turn for the paranormal. That area of the country is rife with sightings of an upright, hairy beast said to resemble a man. Of course, I'm speaking of the skunk ape, a southern version of the infamous Bigfoot. Like Elise's previous call, it's quite possible that what she encountered was none other than the southern Sasquatch. This hair-covered creature would appear man-shaped, with the hair making it appear that the clothing had no identifiable attributes, and it goes without saying that the location of the sighting is consistent with other skunk ape sightings. For a little background on the skunk ape, here's a clip from the History Channel documentary, A Definitive Guide to Bigfoot. One of the places with the greatest rise in sightings of Bigfoot-like creatures is Florida. Here, locals claim to encounter a type of Bigfoot they call the skunk ape because of its terrible smell. In December 2000, these two photographs were sent to the Sarasota Sheriff's Department. They allegedly show a five to six foot tall skunk ape that broke into someone's garden. Is this creature fact, fiction, 
or a case of mistaken identity. Florida's tropical swamp is an ideal habitat for an ape, but the scientists are highly skeptical it's Bigfoot. There's a whole huge menagerie of uh, pets that have been released, particularly in South Florida. We know that primates can thrive in these habitats, and chimpanzees are extremely adaptable, and there's a lot of, lot of food they can be eating in Florida. Keeping chimps and orangutans as pets became fashionable in the 1970s, just when sightings of the skunk ape took off. A very common issue is for people to buy a baby or an infant primate, keep it until it's a bit older and stronger, and often they're purchased illegally or they're held without a license, and all it takes is two or three to start a population. They live a long time. I mean, a chimpanzee can easily live to be 60 years old, and so you only have to have a few releases, perhaps, you know, decades ago, and the odd sighting, and that would certainly keep alive a rumor of a skunk ape for a long, long time. The team believes the huge surge of skunk ape sightings in Florida, more than 200, are a case of mistaken identity triggered by Roger Patterson's film. Sightings of Skunk Ape are probably nothing more than an escaped chimp. A link to that full documentary can be found in the show notes for this week's show. Thank you again, Elisa, and please, be careful out there. Our next two calls coincidentally have a lot in common, but I'll let the submitters fill you in on all that. This is America's call from the state of Washington. Hi, my name's America. I live in a small town in Washington um, called Mattawa. Well, what happened to me happened, not only happened to me, it happened to me and my friends. We went out one night for drinks. Um, we had a DD. And when we go out, we have to have uh, someone drive because it's an hour drive anywhere. So when we drive, there's nothing, nothing in the road. It's just pure desert. We live near a Hanford site. So we were driving back, and it was like 2, 3 in the morning. And my friend um, was DD, and I fell asleep in the back with two, two, others, two other friends. And my friend the dd and my other friend were in the front driving well we were 20 minutes away from from where we live and my friend was talking to my other friend in the front and i i woke up i was in the back seat and i woke up and i see my friend reach for the middle console to grab her phone but when she looks up it was like two, three in the morning. When when she looked up, my friend screamed at her, and I seen it too. My friend that was driving uh, had a swerve because there was a woman in the middle of the road just walking at two, three in the morning, and there's nothing out here except orchards, and you know nobody's gonna be out in an orchard at two, three in the morning, Sunday morning, and um. She was walking and all we could see is that she had jeans and a tank up and long black hair. But we never seen her feet. 
we only saw maybe like up to where her thighs were because she was walking in the middle of the road. My friend screamed and was like, watch out. And my friend served into the other lane to miss her. And we were, we right as she was turning around, she swerved into the other lane and swerved back into the other lane. Luckily, there was nobody else in the other lane. Um, we all saw it, except for my two friends that were asleep. We couldn't believe what we had seen. We, we didn't even see her face. And my friends and I decided, well, let's go back. What if she needs help? There's absolutely no one out here, you know. What if she needs help? Well, we turned around and went back, and there was no one. So we drove back home, and um, we were all creeped out for the rest of that night. Well, a few days later, I seen one of my cousins, and he's older than I am. And I told him what had happened, and he told me that 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 was really creepy because he knew some girls back in, like, 2001, 1999, that he went to school with, and that they had died on that stretch of road right before coming into town, that they also had gone to the club that night, but they never, they never came back that the driver fell asleep on the wheel and her friend got ejected out of the car and died. And she survived. The driver survived. After that, I told my friends, and we were all creeped out. We haven't taken that road in an, in or out of town since. Well, thank you. Uh, I love the podcast. love listening to it. I was, I, I'm binge listening to it at work. Thank you. You make my day fly by. Well, have a good day. Bye. Thank you, America. Now, before I discuss, I'd like to play a second call from thousands of miles away. This is an anonymous submission from Canada. Hi, Derek. This is my second call, which is kind of crazy for me because I have really debilitating social anxiety. But sharing my experiences with like-minded audiences is kind of helpful in a weird way. So here we go. Uh, This happened when I was younger, maybe 10 or 11, so it was probably the late 90s or early 2000s. Um, And we lived in this really tiny town just outside of Montreal, Canada. And it was very suburban, but like on the cusp of rural. Um, So we were kind of crammed in between all sorts of different farmland on the east and west sides of town. Um, And there was only really two ways to get into town, by the highway and by the forest road. Now, this forest road creeped all of my friends out. To give you an idea, it's this winding road in the middle of a forest sanctuary protected by McGill University, but it doesn't house anything bigger than maybe foxes or raccoons. Um, You can imagine like Sleepy Hollow. That's what a lot of my friends kind of like compared it to when they would drive me home from work and things like that. Um, And there's also a bunch of houses, like private houses nestled in the sanctuary. And um, so really you can only see these houses during the day because there's so few streetlights on this winding road that, and they're so far from the street, they're pretty much invisible at night. So as I said, this happened when I was about 11 or so, and I was in the car with my parents and my brothers, and we were driving along it in the summer in the middle of the night. It was a really clear night, um, not really a whole lot of cloud cover, um, and I think we were coming back from my grandparents' house, but I can't really remember. 
And so it was all pretty normal when suddenly this older man goes running out onto the road and in a split second he, like, vanishes. He was probably in his late 60s, but aside from that, I honestly don't really remember much about what he looked like or how he was dressed, but it wasn't really anything distinctive. Um, something like a work shirt and slacks or something like that. It's nothing you could really date, like, in a concrete sense. So when it happened, I went, hey, did you see that? And nobody knew what I was talking about. And even years later when I was like, hey, do you remember when we saw that old man run out onto the road? No one ever claimed to see anything but me. Which is weird because it wasn't like he kind of wandered on the side of the road and then slipped away. He was, he ran right into the road. So there was no way that they couldn't have not seen this guy. But even today, like, Nobody but me ever saw it. So um, to kind of like close this off, I'm a practicing witch. So I see things and I feel things pretty often, but I wouldn't say I'm a medium in any sense of the word. Um, so it makes me wonder, did I see a ghost that night or a runner that happened to slip into the woods before I could register what I was seeing? It's a mystery. Anyway, thanks for letting me share my story. I love the show. And take care. Thank you both for taking the time to call in. This is a subject we've tackled before. Last season, a caller from Northern California called in to share a story about an apparition of a woman in a wheelchair that sent a car into a ditch. So it's safe to say that this sort of thing happens. And that leaves us with the important question of who or what were these people? Coincidentally, I've actually had something similar happen to me when driving in Los Angeles. I was driving in Santa Monica late one evening, the road surprisingly vacant, when suddenly a tattered old man steps out in front of my car pushing a shopping cart. Obviously, this man was not a ghost. He was real, flesh and blood. He was simply a homeless man that didn't mind stopping traffic to cross the road. And I can say he's very lucky that I was paying attention. Now, as for the caller's experiences, they did not seem like homeless people or simple strangers in the street. In the case of the call from Canada, the individual was only seen by one passenger, then seemed to disappear into the darkness. To me, that's a near superhuman ability. So we are left scratching our heads on this one. At least with America's story, a possible explanation can be found in the form of a previous auto accident. Is it possible that a traumatic event, such as a violent car crash, was enough to keep its victims there, forced to replay their final moments on a long stretch of road? Or is it possible that the explanation is more grounded in reality? Thanks again, callers, for sharing your experiences. Our next story is a written submission by an anonymous submitter. Here is her story. Hi, Derek. My daughter and I enjoy your podcast. This story occurred while I was pregnant with my daughter. I've only had this happen to me a dozen or so times in my life, but most of the time it has been during or just following a pregnancy. I've heard that while you are pregnant, you are closer to, quote-unquote, the other side. Now I'm thinking that may be pretty accurate insane. I know exactly when I had this dream. It was so real, I could never forget it. On to my dream. I was in a courtyard of a school. There were kids all around me like it was passing time between classes. I went into the bathroom, but all of a sudden I was shot in the neck. It hurt a lot, and I fell to the ground, and I knew that I was dying. I knew the kid's name that shot me, Andy Williams. 
I immediately woke up and told my husband about my dream. Listening to the news that day, I heard about a kid named Andrew Williams shooting at a Santana High School that morning. I later found out he shot and killed a student in the bathroom. I am still not sure how that happens, or why it is always something bad that happens. But I think that the negative energy and the sadness is strong and easily makes its way into the psychic highway. That's my way of thinking. I have other similar stories. Maybe I'll share some other time. Thank you for giving us a platform to share our stories. And thank you for submitting. I think this sort of phenomenon occurs more often than most realize. I've talked with countless people that have experienced this form of deja vu or premonition. I personally think it's possible that the human brain possesses the ability to see through time and space, though we have not yet learned to harness that power. But perhaps through short bursts in our sleep we can bridge that gap. But then again, that's only my opinion. Thank you again for the submission. What a freaky experience. Our next caller story is difficult to put into a box. This is Hannah's call from Massachusetts. Hey Derek, uh, this is Hannah from Massachusetts. I have a good handful of stories. I figure I'll tell them in the order which they occurred. So, my first prominent encounter took place around 2007, about 2007 I'd say. Um, I was in middle school at the time, living in a small city called Melrose, which is just a little ways north of Boston. At the time, I lived in a two-family house, so uh, let me just explain the layout of it before I get to the good stuff. So it was split into two floors, our family on the bottom, another on the top, with a single exception. My bedroom was upstairs, accessible by a single staircase in our main hallway. So the room had a large window that didn't really overlook much, just some skinny trees in the house next door. Directly beneath my room was my mother's bedroom uh, with a window that was parallel to mine. So we both had our beds set up the same way. So basically, if you sat up in bed, the first thing in your line of sight would be the window. So I woke up around 2, 3 in the morning and had this weird congested feeling in my head like air pressure on an airplane or an elevator, and there was low hum. It felt like it was in my head, but also external, if that makes sense. Um, So I sat up trying to shake that odd feeling, and the first thing I saw were these two weird shapes outside my window. Uh, They were large, dark cubes that hovered slowly. I only got to look at them for a second or so before they seemed to notice me and then shoot downwards, just out of sight. So I was still half asleep, assuming I was dreaming and just went right back to sleep. But then the next morning, I greeted my mother in the kitchen. She made us coffee and then, unprompted, she mentioned this very odd dream she'd had during the night. So she proceeded to tell me to a T the exact thing that I had felt, heard, and seen. So we like to consider ourselves a healthy balance of Mulder and Scully, I'd say. So we tried to bring every explanation to the table. We wondered if it was balloons, but it didn't really explain the speed of which they moved or the sound, the feeling, maybe a drone. Uh, That didn't really add up with just the sheer size and sort of cumbersome look of the shapes and how they 
moved so quickly and with such agility. Um, so yeah, we've long since moved from that house and haven't encountered the weird boxes since. But I'd love to hear from anyone else who may have encountered something similar or have some insight. So yeah, that's story number one. Uh, love the show, and I'll definitely be calling back with more. Thank you. Bye. Thank you, Anna, for taking the time to submit. To be honest, I was quick to chalk this experience up to Strange Dream. That is, until Hannah's mother shared the exact same experience. With both women seeing the same strange cubes, it makes me believe that these objects were not imagined, which leaves me wondering what exactly they were. I attempted to find other instances of witnesses reporting cube-shaped objects outside their windows, and while I found several accounts of cube-shaped UFOs high in the sky... I found nothing similar to what Hannah and her mother experienced that evening. So like so many other subjects in the past, I will keep an eye out going forward for other reports similar to this one. Perhaps someone out there has experienced the exact same thing. That would put us one step closer to solving this mystery. Thank you again, Hannah. Next up is a very cool story that took place in Florida. This call was submitted anonymously. So I've been listening to your podcast for uh, for a while now. I don't know if maybe you're doing the show, show still, maybe you're not, but uh, I think I'm in like the second season. But uh, yeah, I've been thinking, you know, I, I got to submit this. So this happened about 15 years ago, and I, uh, me and a buddy of mine, we went to we went on spring break with with two girls, but uh, we we're all friends. We went down to Panama City Beach, uh, Florida, and the place we were staying in wasn't the, the the nicest. It wasn't. It was maybe three or four miles from the beach inland. Well, it was a, our second night there, and uh, this guy knocks on the door, and um, you know nobody's ever seen him before. Uh, so he, we let him start partying with us, and, and uh, you know this guy's. The more more we hang out with this guy, the stranger, just he, he seems, you know, something about him. Well, um, we're all, you know, it's probably the middle of the night, and we're all, uh, we're we're drinking, nothing, you know, no no crazy drugs or anything like that. But this guy's face changed in front of him. every facial feature he has. Uh, completely changed his hairline his hair got shorter his facial features every everything about him he just changed into a completely different person and that's what he looked like for the next few days i kind of didn't think anything of it i thought you know, maybe it was the alcohol maybe it was uh, you know, i don't know maybe i was just tired uh, I, I really don't know I, I looked at it and i saw the whole thing happen and i didn't know what to think really well the next day we went down to the beach, and one of my friends, one of the girls, I call her Brittany, she comes up to me, and she sits down, and she's, you can tell something's on her mind, and I ask her, you know, hey, what's going on? She looks at me, and dead serious, she looks at me, and she said, his name was Robert. She said, Robert told me he made his face change for you, too. I just kind of looked at her, didn't really know what to think, so 
I, I was like, you no, know, I think, like, what? What are you, what are you talking about? And she's like, you know, I, he, he said that we and you were the only ones who were able to see it. So, um, yeah, I think about Robert from time to time. Uh, like I said, it's about 15 years ago. Uh, what's weird is to this day, I cannot remember what the guy looked like before or after. Um, but it was just, it was very strange. The guy, and just a weird one. So, uh, that's my story. Love your show. Keep doing it. Thank you, caller. Sometimes calls come in that are so out there and so downright creepy that I couldn't begin to offer up logical explanations. This is one of those calls. Whatever our caller experienced, be it a sleight-of-hand trick, possession, or visit from the devil himself, I absolutely love the story. And the thought of someone like Robert roaming around just messing with people warms the cockles of my heart. I should add this. Robert, if you are out there listening, hit me up. Just know that I'm going to demand that you change your face for me as well. Thank you again, caller, for sharing this awesome little story. Alright, I have one last story to share, but first, let's get all this out of the way. Hometown legend calls are starting to trickle in. We have two more weeks to get those bad boys in here before I have to start work on the Season 4 finale. So if you have a story about your hometown or just a general submission, simply call the hotline at one 1- 888-608-NIGHT That's 1-888-608-6444 Or you can submit via the web at Monsters Among Us Podcast forward slash report your sighting Thank you to all those that have already taken the time to submit their stories Do me a huge favor and rate and review the show today I know I say this a lot but you guys are acting and it's making a huge difference A majority of the calls I've been receiving lately are from new listeners Listeners that were drawn in by all the amazing reviews left by people like you. So if you haven't done so yet, please hop on your podcast app, leave a five-star review and a few words about why you like the show, and hit that submit button. Each review goes a long way to help the show grow and continue. Follow the show on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. And while you're at it, join the Monsters Among Us fan page and share all the creepy things you're into with the community over there. And lastly, don't forget that I have new Monsters Among Us koozies in the shop. For those of you that don't know what a koozie is, it's a foam sleeve made to keep your beer or other beverage cold longer. Luke in Australia informed me that down that way they call them stubby holders instead of koozies. Well, despite what you call them, support the show and get yours today. Simply visit Monsters Among Us podcast forward slash shop to place your order today. All right. Now for that last call that I promised. This call was submitted anonymously from Texas. So, this happened in the early 1980s in a rural area east of San Antonio, Texas, while I was deer hunting with my dad. I'm not sure of the exact year, but it would have been in November or December because it was during deer season. The way we would always hunt would be that my dad would drop me off at my spot and then drive to somewhere else on the property. It was a 500 acre ranch, so there was lots of room for both of us to hunt without being too close to each other. The front 150 acres or so was mostly cleared, and this was where the cattle usually stayed because there was more grazing for them there and it was closer to the barn where we fed them supplemental feed during the winter. 
The back 350 or so was heavily forested, and it was in this back part that we did all of our hunting. A winding road twisted through the back part. It wasn't much of a road, mostly just a trail that we had picked out through the trees where we were able to drive. At one point, the road ran alongside a small clearing in the forest that was roughly circular and about 50 yards across. On the opposite side of this clearing from where the road was, there was a very large, old live oak tree. The base of the trunk was huge. It would have probably taken three or four people holding hands to circle it, and like many live oak trees, it was leaning over so that there was a long section of the trunk that was almost parallel to the ground. This was one of my usual hunting spots, and on this day, this was where my dad dropped me off. I would climb into this big live oak tree and sit on the broad, flat part of the trunk that was parallel to the ground. A large limb grew upward from the trunk at this point, making a good place for me to lean back against, and I remember there was some moss growing on the top of the trunk that made a sort of cushion for me to sit on, so it was fairly comfortable for a tree stand. During this time of the year, the wind usually blows from the north, and the tree was on the south side of the clearing, which was why I usually sat in it. You have to make sure that the wind doesn't blow your scent into the area you are watching, because the deer will smell you and stay away. We had built an improvised blind on the north side of the clearing for the rare occasion when the wind blew from the south. This improvised blind was made by just dragging some fallen tree limbs around the base of a post oak tree so I could sit down behind them. But on this day, I was sitting up in the live oak tree, and I remember there was no wind at all. It was perfectly still. At one point while I was sitting there, a doe walked out of the forest behind me and walked directly under me as I was sitting in the tree. At her closest point, I was about ten feet directly above her, and she never knew I was there, and that's how still it was. At that time, it was illegal to take does, so I just watched her graze for a little while, and then she wandered off. When it began to get dark, I decided I'd had enough of sitting in the tree and climbed back down, first unloading my rifle, of course. The rifle I had was a lever action with an internal magazine. The way I would unload it would be to open the lever just far enough to extract the cartridge that was in the chamber, stick it in my pocket, and then push the remaining cartridges down into the magazine as I closed the action on top of them. So the chamber would be empty, but the magazine was still full. I walked across the clearing and stood against the other tree where we had dragged the limbs to make a blind. I knew it would be another 20 to 30 minutes before my dad drove back to pick me up, because he always waited until it was really dark before he gave up for the day. But I had had enough and was ready to go home. With the sun going down, even though there was no wind blowing, it was starting to get cold and I never really liked being out in the cold. I stood there for a few minutes, it got a little darker, and I saw movement back at the live oak tree where I had been sitting. Something came out of the forest behind it and stood in front of it, just about below the spot where I had been sitting. It was very big and human-shaped. It was hard to see the details in the poor light, but it looked to be very heavily built, with its arms hanging at its sides. It seemed to move its head, looking from side to side for a few moments, then turned and went back into the forest the way it had come. As it moved away, I noticed that it had to duck its head a little to go beneath that part of the tree trunk where I had been sitting. I was seriously spooked. I knew that there were sometimes poachers hunting there illegally, 
but they always waited until late at night and then hunted with spotlights, which is illegal. And they did it from their vehicles, which is also illegal. Whatever this thing was, it wasn't carrying a rifle and it didn't have a light. I leaned against the tree that I was standing next to. I was wearing camouflage clothing. I was behind those tree limbs we had dragged together, and as I said, there was no wind blowing, so I was pretty sure there was no way it could have seen me or smelled me. Then I realized suddenly, hey, I have a rifle. And I very slowly and as quietly as I could switched off the safety and worked the lever to put a cartridge into the chamber. Of course, there were a couple of clicks as I did this, and my heart nearly stopped every time I heard myself making a noise. I wasn't planning on killing anything, but I thought at least I could defend myself if I had to. My mind raced, trying to make sense of it. I thought maybe it had been my dad poking around in the trees and trying to spook some deer out toward me, but I decided that that couldn't be it because he had never done that before. We always stayed away from each other because that's just basic hunting safety. This thing had walked all the way out of the brush right up to where I'd been sitting. It hadn't been carrying a rifle, and besides, it was getting so late that I knew my dad must be headed back toward the truck by this time. I thought about poachers again, but as I said, no rifle. And besides that, it had appeared to be huge. A few minutes went by, and I began to hear something moving behind me, which just about stopped my heart again. But after a second or two, I realized it was just the sound of an armadillo rooting through the leaves. And in another minute or two, it approached close enough to me that I could see it even though it was getting darker and darker. And pretty soon I heard the sound of the truck coming through the trees and felt very relieved. I waited until I could see the headlights before I unloaded my rifle again. After my dad picked me up and I was safe back inside the truck, I asked him if he had been walking around down there. He said no and I told him I thought I had seen someone come out of the trees and look around. He said it was probably just my eyes playing tricks on me. I said, yeah, probably, and never mentioned it again. I'd say the whole time that I saw this thing was probably no more than 20 seconds, from when I saw it come out of the forest to when it turned and went back the way it had come. Unfortunately, there was no way I could check for tracks. We did our hunting only on Saturdays, so it was a whole week before we went back there again. Also, the topsoil in this area is only very loose sand, which doesn't do a good job of preserving footprints. If it's something with hooves, like deer or cattle, it's easier to find tracks. But something with broad, flat feet, like a human, doesn't leave very good tracks. And even with deer, you have to look for bare spots of sand. Most of the forest is covered with several centuries worth of dead leaves that prevents almost anything from leaving tracks behind. What I did do was check how high that tree trunk was. During this time, one of my activities was playing volleyball. The top of a volleyball net is supposed to be eight feet high, and I had the habit of checking the net height by standing flat-footed and reaching my arms straight up. The tips of my fingers when I did this was right at eight feet high, so I did walk under the tree trunk and do this to get a rough idea of how high it was. The trunk was still an inch or two higher than I could reach with my fingertips, so the bottommost part of the trunk must have been an inch or two above eight feet. Whatever that thing was, it had had to duck its head to walk beneath the tree trunk. And back in those days, I spent a lot of time in this place. We not only hunted deer there, but also there were a couple of ponds where we could go fishing, and I often went there at night to hunt raccoons. However, I never did any of these other things during deer season to minimize spooking the deer. So I was there quite a lot during both day and night time throughout most of the year. But this was the only time I ever saw anything like this. 
Love the show, and thanks. Thank you, caller. I'm going to tip my hand a little here when it comes to calls regarding Bigfoot encounters. It's been my experience that the more elements given in a report, the less likely it is to be genuine. For example, if a witness claimed to have smelled a foul smell, then heard wood knocks, then found tracks, then had rocks tossed at them, then heard whoops, before finally seeing the beast, I can't help but think that that all sounds a bit manufactured. But that seems to be the opposite with this caller. He doesn't make grand claims about finding tracks and hearing whoops and smelling odors. He simply saw a strange, albeit hulking figure, where no person should have been. To me, that seems much more credible than a wild story full of cliché Bigfoot sighting tropes. Like everything else, Bigfoot is big in Texas, and encounters like this are the reason why. Thank you again, caller, for this amazing story. And that's going to do it for this episode of Monsters Among Us. I want to thank the talented Warren Pon Abbott for his vocal contributions. And I'd also like to thank the wonderful Addie Lloyd for her administrative work on the fan page. Monsters Among Us is written and produced by me, Derek Hayes. Music from tonight's episode was provided by Mayu and Nature World 1986. Merry Christmas and happy holidays to all. And thank you all for listening. And until next week. starts with an invitation to experience Lexus. To connect with us. To see that no detail is too small. To be our special guest. It starts as an invitation to drive a Lexus vehicle, but it becomes an exceptional experience. The Invitation to Lexus sales event. Your invitation is always open, but the offers only last through March 31st. Experience amazing at your Lexus dealer. Click the banner to discover more.